What's up, everybody? You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we are so happy to be back with you for another week of No Coast Cinema. Uh, took a little break there. Had to take a, a personal week. Yeah. Uh, got a little bit of that transition cold now that we were going into, you know, fall, winter sort of season. Had a little trouble there, but uh, we made it. Yeah, we're it's creeping right. in. That's for sure. I know. And I feel like I haven't seen you in forever, Connor. Yeah. It's been two weeks. It's been. It's been. It's, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's been a little while. But, you know, a lot of great movies have come out. And uh, we wanted to take today's episode to talk a little bit about, I don't know, the conversation around movies, the way we talk about movies. And uh, I think there's no better time to do it. And no better guest to talk to than Mr. Blake Stubbs, a frequent contributor to WGN. And a, uh, a a movie critic in his own right. He goes by sometimes blockbuster Blake Stubbs, one of his aliases, wouldn't you say, Blake? Uh, yeah, definitely, especially on the WGN uh, airwaves. That's how most people would know me. Uh, but yeah, critic, lover of cinema, especially the industry. I love following the news and what's going on, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but uh, definitely one of those where I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to get to talk movies with guys who love to talk movies. It's one of the few things that I get to do daily, but it is one of those things that I love to do. Absolutely. And uh, I will say that it's always a pleasure to hear Mr. Blake Stubbs on WGN radio showing up all over the place. So I'm glad that we were able to all get together in this sort of consortium of uh, cinema lovers. All right. So what we're going to do is I guess I guess we'll start with the biggest thing that has happened this past week in cinema, which is the release of Justice League, DC's latest entry into their DC Extended Universe, their attempt to bring it all back together, finally make it all happen for them, get in on a little bit more of that superhero market. They were doing pretty well financially, but the critics were panning it. Aside from Wonder Woman, pretty much all of the DC Extended Universe movies have been critically reviled. Wouldn't you say so, Connor? Yeah, and the the Box office performances have always been pretty good. Yeah, until now, Connor, yeah. you just mentioned to me that this has been their lowest opening for a movie. Yeah, and this is basically their Avengers, if, yeah. if to draw a parallel between the Marvel Universe, and they're five years behind Marvel, and critical reception has not been good for Justice League. Absolutely. Blake, have you seen Justice League? I did. I caught a screening of it yesterday, uh, a matinee, actually, uh, if you can call it that on a Saturday. Usually that's a, a Sunday term for many. Uh, but no, I, I definitely uh, saw it with a, I wouldn't say a packed house, but I saw it with a decent sized crowd. Um, I can see why critics don't like this movie. I can see when, many reasons why there's part, big parts of it I don't like. Um, but there's, there's nuggets in there that I think are getting, you know, they're just being left in the dust. And everybody's just talking about, oh, how bad it is. And, oh, the big Rotten Tomatoes, you know, Rotten Tomatoes didn't release the the rating number uh, before the release. But, you know, critical reviews were out there. So I said it's like harkening back to a time prior to Rotten Tomatoes where we didn't have, you know, an aggregate of where to go to look at, you know, what are critics saying? We had to go find our favorite critics and actually read their reviews, uh, which was a welcome change in a way, I guess. But, yeah, no, I caught it. Uh, I have thoughts. I guess it's the right. easiest thing Let, to say. Let's get some of your thoughts right off the bat. Now, I I've seen it. Connor has not seen it. I've read a lot of reviews, though. That is that is true. You've read okay. a lot of reviews. Um, personally, I I absolutely hated it. Um, <laughs> I left with twenty minutes still left in the movie, 
Because I was just like, it was like right before the big battle sequence, I threw up my hands and said, I just don't care. I just don't care what happens from this point on. Um, it, I really just had a very poor experience. And I, I shared that on Facebook. I said that Justice League is not so much a movie as it is a litmus test for how much audiences are willing to put up with in a blockbuster movie. Um, I really and I will say that I do agree with what you said about their nuggets. They're little bits that I thought were really interesting. And I'm curious to, to hear what those nuggets were for you. Well, it, it kind of goes right back to um, things that I did like about Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. Now, I'm not saying I liked the whole film. I didn't. Right. I didn't like this film. Um, but when you get into uh, – because you're always going to go to that route of comparing it to how Marvel and Disney are doing things. I'm going to try to hold off on doing that and just start by saying that I think each actor who's playing one of these you know, pivotal characters, Batman, Cyborg, Wonder Woman, Superman, each actor is outstanding. I like them all, who they are, and, and, and you know their talents. I think they fit the characters. The problem is, is that DC is not doing a good enough job across now multiple films uh, and crossovers and everything of doing what their contemporaries have done correctly, which is build likable characters in films that can just kind of stand on their own, and they don't even have to be great. Uh, they just need to serve a purpose and then when you bring the team together much like this is the dc universe's avengers film it should be fun and enjoyable and we should be you know aching for it everything feels rushed you know we're getting cyborg really for the first time Mm -hmm. we're getting flash for the first time um ben affleck's audition for his batman and his bruce wayne i am a huge fan now i know some people aren't, but that's okay. It's okay for us to dislike things, but at the same time, I love what I see, but I haven't been given a full movie of him yet. Um, you know, Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot is just, she, she's, you know, as far as playing this character, being this character, and her film this, you know, this year being huge, she's 10 out of 10 as far as, like, what I want to see out of a Wonder Woman and what we should hope to get if we're going to get a good Wonder Woman film and franchise and appearances in films like this. And Henry Cavill's good, it, he's not bad. He's never been bad. Well, yeah, I feel I just I, think there's a whole treatment that is just yeah. off. Yeah, he um I think finally in a lot of the scenes here he found a lot of the warmth that was missing from Superman. Um a lot of what makes people gravitate towards Superman is this kind of all-American hero that in Man of Steel and in Batman versus Superman he just felt so cold. And I feel like now he's kind of leaned into this like the big blue boy scout that's who he is and he needs to kind of play towards that yeah and and i think that the you know the tortured soul of of bruce wayne isn't necessarily what we're seeing this is a much more paranoid bruce wayne this is a much more i've been through everything and now i'm just you know i only care about the world but everything that i do doesn't always reflect that and and i'm going to argue with my teammates and i'm going to do all these things it's like that's not really the batman that i now, look, I'm not a huge DC, you know, aficionado, mm -hmm. but that's not the Batman that I expected in a Justice League film. Right. Um, I kind of liked it by the end of this. The one thing, another nugget that I liked, and I know you left 20 minutes, you know, before the end, <laughs> but I did kind of enjoy the fact that by the end of it, everyone had a core thing that they had to do. I'm not saying that those things were great, nor were they executed properly, or did I really care? Because I, I also didn't really care what was going on. I didn't feel the stakes were necessary. Um, the villain in this film, you know, just building off of one thing after another, 
another, you know, just to berate this film a little more. Uh, the villain, Steppenwolf, in this film is voiced by, uh, I believe, Kieran Hines is how you yes. pronounce his name. And he is outstanding. He is a great actor. This is a straight-up, one-dimensional, I-don't-care-about-this-villain. Yeah. And I kind of know about this villain, you know, from reading comics, from discussing Steppenwolf with other people, his mythos and everything, it isn't a bad one. Um, and you know, if you know anything about him, you know that it leads to a bigger bad. But this was just like, this was the biggest thing that they had to offer, and this is all they did with it. That's how I felt when I left the theater. And I think that that's a huge, you know, injustice, uh, to use a pun, uh, to the audiences that love these characters. Um, I think that it just, it falls flat. And look, I guess there's another thing, and not to like just keep rambling, but one problem is that this film suffered some massive, you know, controversy. And controversy is not even the word tragedy uh, sure, in, yeah. in in the in the buildup. You know, Zack Snyder was directing this. He's already helmed two films prior. You know, win, lose, or draw. We're not switching horses midway through the race, and then we had to because his daughter, um, you know, took her own life, and that's very right. sad. And and I don't, you know, I don't, I appreciate the fact that the man, you know put family first and, and did what he needed to do. But then Joss Whedon stepping in, um, you know, I was hopeful. I really was because I do enjoy Avengers, um, not age of Ultron as much, but you know what he was able to do in taking pre-existing characters, put them into a very big, huge tentpole film. Um, I had hope. I, I feel like there was just not enough time for them to give us a true Joss Whedon justice league. And I think we're getting, mixtures of the two and they don't mix too well no i think that's the easiest way to phrase it and there was also that mixture of you mentioned that there were certain things about the character development and the way that they were portrayed uh that was maybe not as faithful to your idea of what the characters were but then i think that you sure. also again i have not seen the movie but i have read a lot of reviews and i do know a decent amount about the dc comic universe and i just think that maybe there were also some things in the movie that I've read about that were very faithful to the source material, but maybe they shouldn't have been. Like the mother boxes, uh, yeah, the MacGuffin, yeah, basically. the three MacGuffins. Yeah, it just that seemed like something that maybe they could have tweaked a little bit because it works well in a comic book. You know, you're reading it by yourself right. or whatever. It works well in that kind of a space, but having to say the word mother boxes over and over again and have it be something <laughs> that you're really trying to like chase after i don't know it doesn't seem it doesn't sound compelling to me at all i completely agree and i think i think my ignorance over all of the comics is going to be a downfall in a discussion like this but like you did point out sometimes stuff that you know reads well doesn't play well cinematically and we just have to accept that that's right. just something that and i and i think that they were kind of in a rush. They were trying to make sure that, you know, with a director swap halfway through on the biggest property, there's no way they can't uh, make that that date, you know, that that November 17th, you know, release date. Um, I think the film suffered for it. I don't think the actors did. I think they get their characters really well. I think that the 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 art design and the look of everyone is great. Um, I know some, you know, I think somebody, I, I read a piece that ragged on uh, Cyborg looking like he was made up of recycled pieces from Transformers films, but <laughs> I thought he looked cool. I I, I did. Uh, and really, I was paying more attention to the actor than I was, you know, the metallic look, because I actually thought that that actor, you know, I thought he was trying. And I think that it's just, you can't, you can't overdress it. 
the script had flaws, the story had flaws, the execution had flaws, but I'm not going to hold the actors accountable for all of that. No, I and, think is where where I and uh, and and Zack Snyder is nothing if not a visual stylist. Um, a lot of a lot of his shots were just so so bright. Well, not bright, but like, I mean, I got I gotta say, I like the look of the film. Um, I think they fixed a lot of the issues with. I don't know with with the darkness of uh, Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad and yes. Man of Steel, and I, I, it worked for me. I, I liked seeing a lot more color. It seems like something that they learned from Wonder Woman, where Wonder Woman, you know, it's okay to have a colorful DC superhero f- film. It plays well, but uh, to your, I want to speak to your point about um, not having a handle on the mythos of the of the whole DC universe. Isn't that kind of the point, though? Like, this is supposed to be their coming out party to the general public, really, to get people on board to learn the mythos, and it's introduced to them in such a slipshod way. I think that that is exactly where my gripe is. That's a better way of phrasing what my gripe is, is that it's not true to what we always know in every aspect, which, you know, is always the dilemma when you make a comic property into a film. And if this was the big audition, the big, hey, this is what we're going to do. It, again, you got all these like, like, I really want a Jason Momoa Aquaman film. I want another Gal Gadot Wonder Woman fan. I'm all about Ezra Miller as as the Flash, even though. Uh, is it Grant Gustin who plays him on um, on The Flash? I forget his, his, his actual... I'm not entirely sure, but I know we have the CW but, Flash. You know what I mean? Like, the CW Flash is a good show. It's a very well-liked show. And mm-hmm. and I know that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why can't these actors just play it? And all? Well, it's because of the stylization that they want to take when they make it into a film. And, okay, that's a creative choice. What they've introduced us to, because this is really our first shot at, at Ezra Miller as The Flash, is a really, I mean, I'm all in. Sign me up. You know, like, they're winning me over in all of these smaller ways, but they can't get the big picture right, is I think where this just ends up going every time. Now, this is, what, the fourth film? Um, you know, Man of Steel, I kind of, I've revisited that recently. I don't dislike it as much as I did at first, um, but everything since then, I'm just not, I'm not all in. They haven't hooked me. Yeah, and they should because I love these characters. Right? Absolutely. Like, like it, it, be all in. It but. would be nice to have you know Superman back as a cultural figure because this is basically the way they're going to do it. I mean, not since Christopher Reeves played Superman has uh, that character really captured the imagination of 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 the general public. So it's not like I want these movies to be bad. It's just you know it's it's rare for me. I watch a lot of movies that are just okay. And um, yeah. I totally would have been cool with Justice League being just okay or with BVS being just okay and what have you. But they weren't just okay. They were bad. Like, and, and I've had to explain this to people who have kind of come on, come on the, uh, the defense of Justice League and said, oh, you're overthinking it. It's entertaining. It's, you know, it's really a pretty good movie. It's just about average. And I, I understand that. I mean, what entertains individual people is going to vary completely. But I know that for me, when I feel compelled to literally walk out of a theater, turn off you know, whatever streaming service I'm using. I tried to watch BVS again on HBO Go. Couldn't even get through like an hour of it. <laughs> when I'm that compelled to just stop watching it, then there's got to be something wrong with it. And that's when I start delving deeper. Like what is not hooking me about this? 
No, totally. And, you know, uh, to the point of people are like, well, it's entertaining and it just is what it is. My question is, is it? Because right now you have a counterpoint film that is playing in theaters that is making money, that has an incredibly high rating that people are talking about, and that is Thor Ragnarok. And not to hijack our conversation about Justice League, but if that's the point people want to make, you got the exact thing that you're trying to describe as a counterpoint to our dislike of Justice League sitting in a theater waiting for you to go see it. And maybe you already have, and to be quite honest – You'd want to go see that again rather than see Justice League. Sure. If you knew what Justice League was and why it fails and why it doesn't work. And, you know, again, so many things I can like about it, but on the whole, I can't recommend it to people. I'm going to tell them to go see Thor Ragnarok because I want, if you're going to spend, you know, 10 to $15, or depending on how big the experience is for you at your local theater, you know, you could spend up to $20 for a ticket. It just depends on what you're going to see it in. You know, if it's a big D-Box theater or an IMAX or whatever, you want to make sure that you're getting your money's worth. And Thor Ragnarok is the film right now that is sitting, you know, in the same environment, and it's definitely worth your time. So I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's just, you know, bad selection of when to release. I don't know what that is. But at the same time... I don't I don't feel like someone can just easily say, well, that's entertaining. And so we should, you know, enjoy it. No, I don't have to enjoy it because it didn't entertain me. Now, yeah, parts of it that, did, sure, but not on the whole. I think that that has a great bearing on the kind of overall theme that, the, that we wanted to touch on today is that despite the embattled production of Justice League and all of the hoops that they had to jump mm-hmm. through to get it out with the two hour runtime that it had and what it comes down to is, are you going to be able to recommend to people that they spend their money and their time going to to see this and if the answer is no despite wanting to like it and all of that it comes down to kind of consumer protection i think if you are in a position where you where people are listening to your opinion if they respect your perspective on going to see films that is important you know you need to be able to steer people in the right direction Right. And I mean, I guess it's for me as a critic, you know, if people ask me, they're like, what did you think about this? Or did you see this? Usually my response is I try to be as short as I can, uh, because I could usually if it's a movie I don't like, I could take up an hour of their time. And if it's a movie I really like, I could take up even more right. because I want to have conversations about film. That's just the way I'm wired. But at the same time, you know, like, this whole thing, I know all the story. You know, uh, Superman's mustache is digitally removed, all these <laughs> other things. And by the way, it, yeah, it was, but it's not the end of the world, and it's not something people need to focus on. All right? Like, it was a story because it was a story. And what's really sad is that the biggest thing about the film, because if you look at all the posters, if you look at all the trailers, leading up to probably within the last month, you know, when they make that final marketing push, Superman wasn't really featured. Yeah. And it's because it, there's supposed to be this unveiling of his return, okay? That was totally spoiled by by the, you know, the news of him having of reshoots. Um and and again, I think the word embattled is a very good choice for the production of this film, but also in some ways it may be an understatement because I feel like all the big, you know, twists, turns or any kind of points of interest were all blown well before the film even hit theaters. Well, and that makes and, it tough because when you're when you're when you're a critic, people, well, or at least the way I, the way I grew up with having film critics or any sort of critic really, um, was that they were the ones in the know. They knew what was happening. They knew 
like to get how to give the best possible recommendation. But with all this information out there, like, oh, now we already know that Superman is going to come back and he's got a weird CGI upper lip, like, and you learn about the embattled production, how does that change the landscape of recommending movies? Like, do people even look to critics anymore? And individual critics, I mean, not just, um, a tomato meter score or Metacritic, but like are people looking to legitimate recommendations or are they just piecing it together themselves? Right. You know what? That is a huge, huge point to make because the, the, since the passing of Roger Ebert. Okay. Now in the Chicagoland area, Richard Roper, Michael Phillips, those are the two big names I always recommend to people. Now there are more, there are far more, but if you want, you know, easiest access, you got the Chicago Sun-Times and the Chicago Tribune. And you know what I mean? You can read people if sure. you want to read about cinema and what they think. If you, you know, go outside the sphere of just looking at what the tomato meter score is and you start actually reading the critics, like the top critics that are noted, you're going to find there are people who are critics that have similar tastes to you. And this is the thing that I would say if you're going to spend money to go to a theater, try to find a critic that is just one that you respect, whether you agree with them or disagree with them. And you probably should do both on a regular basis. But try to find somebody who can be sort of your cinematic guide, whether that's me or anybody else. I don't care. I just want people to be making good choices when they go to the movies because it's not cheap to do. No, and at the same time, not. it should be a fun experience. So, I, you know, I, I it's. It's hard to say because for a long time, long time, decades even, at the movies was the number one source. Right. That's how people that's how people knew what to go see and what not to go see. But because we have such easy access to whether a movie is good or bad based on a, a very simple metric, uh, it, it can kind of kill a movie or it can raise a lot of intrigue and get people to go see it. It can kind of have the adverse you know, effect. Like a movie could be zero percent, but because of the controversy, people are gonna go see it. Yeah, it's almost like like it, but they're going to go see it. Yeah, it's almost like a zero percent rating is is better than getting a good rating. Like in terms of I think that's what people were hoping for, maybe or Paramount was hoping for with Mother, that the they leaned hard into that controversy and being like, get, you know, check out the the movie that CinemaScore gave a hard F like (laughs) that people just can't swallow. Well, and again, you know. If you follow, and I know you guys do, but like if you follow the work of Darren Aronofsky, this is a man who doesn't make movies to placate to audiences. Right. This is a man who makes movies that are in some ways art, in some ways his his own vision and his storytelling, and he's not here to be your friend. He's here to put something in front of you that you react to, whether it's good or bad, and that's really the core objective. And outside of that, it's you know how well did he do it, and he's a very precise filmmaker. So Mother is one of those films where I'm just still sitting here like, yeah, I'm really glad that people – you know, or having reactions to a film and it's not simply a big comic book film. Right. And it's not simply, and, and here's the thing, you know, uh, on the very positive side, get out was a similar experience. This was a film people were reacting to. They were going to see it had, uh, I think, I think it left rotten tomatoes. I mean, it's still there, but I think it left like it's theatrical run at about 99% or 98%. So, you know, people can look up the basic metric and say, okay, this movie's really good, but it's, it's being flooded in the media about how it's got something to say about how well executed it was and how big of a surprise, you know, to many, uh, the talents of, of, of Jordan Peele are, uh, which they shouldn't be. The guy's brilliant. But at the same time, you know, all the, everything about that movie just screamed 
I hope that this gets the due that it deserves. And, you know, Mother is sort of the other side of it where it's like, well, it got the cinematic score or cinema score F and, you know, audiences are really upset about it. And you can read great Twitter accounts that all they do is dedicate themselves to, you know, retweeting goofy reviews or like I left because of this or, you know, someone threw up next to me. So I left and it had nothing to do with the movie, you know, goofy stuff like that. Like that helps the movie. Right. And I don't think people get that. Like the only way to make sure a movie doesn't get talked about is to not talk about the movie. It will not be played and it will go into obscurity. But we nowadays don't really have that happen. If something's exceptionally bad, everyone knows about it. If it's exceptionally good, everyone knows about it. What's really hard is for really good films that don't get, you know, the 2,000 or 3,000 screens in the United States, you know, viewing. And, and you just have to see them when you can. Select theater releases that then come on demand and maybe people will find it there. And that's the stuff that I always feel bad about, but the industry is the industry, and at least it still always has a platform you know, to play on streaming services or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Like I just I, – this. but going back to Justice League, I guess, like this is a movie that is on its best day. It's so middling that it is in the bad, bad, bad territory, and – it sucks because for you know viewers and people who love these characters because we are treated to really great casting and some really cool art direction and some really cool world building but the actual storytelling you know making it so that it's engaging and fun and we want more now i don't want it no. I, this is one i just don't want you that's know very, it's plain and simple and i i hate saying it that way but it's true that's a very mediating review to Justice League because, like I said, I haven't seen it, but I've read a lot of the reviews, and they're all scathing. It's all just right. – and, and I do think that that sort of touches on maybe a, a trope – not a trope, but just a theme in critical reviews in general. It seems like either people love a movie or they hate a movie. And even if it comes down to like, oh, maybe the movie was middling like Tom was saying, I do still think that it it serves – a critic's purpose nowadays to be polarizing in that way. I guess it does. Um, and this is a point that I always come back to when, when someone disagrees with, now I'm not saying you disagreed with what I said, cause you haven't seen the film yet, but when someone disagrees with what I say, that's totally fine. I don't take it personally. It's, it's whatever. But one thing I learned from Roger Ebert and I've learned many, like, like we all have, uh -huh. if we read his reviews, if we saw the films he recommended to us, but I kind of had a – in the later part of his life, I got to know him a little bit through his film festival here in Champaign, Illinois, where I live currently. And the one thing I picked up from him very early on, and I tried to make it a principle, was every film deserves a fair shake. It deserves a fair shake. So if something's exceptionally bad, yeah, scathe and, and, and you know, be, be very scathing and just burn it in the incendiary and just, you know, whatever. It's garbage. But if the film, you know, has certain things that are merits, you got to give it those. And so that's why my review on Justice League is a very hard no. It's a very big, you know, um, negative review. It's a one-star review, but at the same time, like my language might be a little fair to it. And that's just because there are things I like about it, but it's not enough to justify telling people to go see it or that it's worth anyone's time. Well, it goes and, to show. It goes to show a level of nuance, and I, and I think that's important to keep in film reviews because I think, uh, as you mentioned. Learning from Roger Ebert, I th I think people can go back and look at some of some of his best writing is him literally just destroying a movie, but it's Correct. still he still has a very new it's it's as you said uh, 
putting in those positive credit where credit is due. Let's say that and saying that yeah. there are positives to bad movies and that like, you know, as a fair shake. I really like that. I really like this idea of giving every movie a fair shake instead of just saying, no, this is going to be trash. It might it could probably be trash, but. You never know what you might find because if you're only like, oh, I'll only watch movies that have this percentage of a tomato meter rating, you're going to be missing out on a lot of movies that are good but not perfect. Right. Exactly. And, you know, you're going to run into you know, talking if, you, if you're one who loves to talk about cinema, be it, be it someone listening to us now or or us, you know, even when the mics are off. The whole point of, you know, Justice League being a bad movie and us, you know, sort of trying to give it the fair shake and give it the credit it deserves and all that stuff. It's important because, look, if all you do is want to be a contrarian and, and down talk a bad film. Cool. Like I'm going to get really bored listening to or talking to you very quickly. And, and I want to make sure that, you know, you at least pay attention to the film and you didn't just write it off like right away now look tom i totally get why you left by the way uh, i i and, that, and that's not what i'm talking about i probably would have left but my girlfriend was with me and to be quite honest she doesn't see a lot of the superhero films so she wanted mindless entertainment and she sure. got it i she she didn't and she was like i didn't really like it but i didn't like want to leave and if that's you know a good solid review from somebody who went in kind of blind and didn't know, I'd say that's a pretty fair shake. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like well, I that's agree. the idea of let's not like, cause here's the thing with this movie, you know, the trailers didn't hook me. So automatically I've got expectations and ideas. And if all I do is sit there and stew on these negative, you know, impressions and ideas, that's how I'm going to feel about the movie in the end. It just is. I, and, and I think that, you know, one of the things that we as moviegoers, and this is anyone, we have to make sure that we don't fall victim too heavily to, you know, the marketing campaigns. That sometimes for great films, the marketing is really bad. And sometimes for, you know, really bad films, the marketing can be really kick ass. You know what I mean? Like it's, That's true. Those Suicide know, Squad like, trailers were amazing. Like yeah. those are some of the best trailers yeah. I've ever seen were for Suicide Squad. And to Absolutely. your point earlier and that you made about how um, the kind of the marketing for Justice League sort of ruined the reveal that Superman was going to be in it. Warner Brothers yep. has done that with almost all of the DC movies, I feel like. They spoiled Wonder Woman being in Batman versus Superman. They spoiled the return of Superman, even though it was, you know, it was, it was kind of obvious. at the end of yeah. BBS. But. Well... And they spoiled Doomsday in Batman versus Superman: True. Dawn of Justice. True. And and look, if you read the comics or you read Funeral for a Friend or whatever, like if you've read those arcs, which you know, I was a total nerd when I was younger, and I bought all of those comics. But like, and they're all wrapped in sleeves back at my parents' house, like tucked away in a in a shoebox somewhere nice. or whatever. But the point the point is like. They spoil – and this is the problem. This is why I'm, like, really protective of the Star Wars property. You know, I'm a Star Wars geek. Right. I'm, a, I'm a film critic, but I'm a Star Wars geek. I feel like we still haven't seen anything of what's going to happen in Last Jedi, and I think that's been very good. I think we have an idea, but I don't think – I think we've been misled in a lot of good ways, and I think we're going to have a lot of pleasant surprises when we see that film. And some will be devastating, too, which is, you know, the sign of a good second installment, much like Empire was in that saga of films. But with this, yeah, like they spoil Superman coming back. Well, cool. I know what's going to happen. Um, you know, and look, here's the thing. You got two guys on this podcast right now who have seen it and one who hasn't. And yes, we have talked about Superman, but you know, you knew Superman was going to be in the movie anyway. Oh, hell yeah. They told you he was going to be in the movie. You know what I mean? Like, what? where's the the mystery? There was none. 
So then when you walk into this film, it feels like it's just a brainless, you know, action film with, you know, just tissue paper thin villains that have moment after moment of I'm a really bad guy. And then in the end just gets whooped six ways from Sunday. And that's just like, I don't care. You know, I just don't care. It really. And, And that's upsetting <laughs> yeah i think upsetting is a good way <laughs> how many times play. have you seen that too you know like yeah oh. where, where dc movies just devolve i mean they might even start out with a decent premise and then it just devolves into a mindless cgi fight right it does and and that's it's you know i understand if you're building an action film story or a comic book arc you know of into films you got to have your action beats it's like in a musical you got to have your musical you yeah. know interludes and your, your your musical songs that have to pop in and they help tell the story but here's the thing a lot of the action sequences don't help tell the story they just don't they, yeah and they the serve one nothing. that the one that came close was the fight between batman and superman and dawn of justice but then when you realize where that film was going and how it ended it didn't really matter. No, no. You know I mean, like aside from one little P, like one little Deus Ex Machina that did play a hand in the very end. But like other than that, that could have been, you know, they have a scuffle, of, you know, they slap each other around a little bit and they're like, all right, look, here's our resources. Let's pull it together. We got this whole idea. Like none of that happened. It was just like mindless, 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 mindless done. And we're out. Oh, by yeah. the way, get ready for Justice League. Like yeah. that's it. Now, <laughs> get look, Wonder Woman was good. So I can't, I'm not going to say they're, they're batting zero, all right? But on the whole, it's just upsetting. Yeah. Every time. Um, one, one thing I want to bring up, your last point, is uh, there's there's been a little bit of backlash. I, you know what? Maybe not a little bit. Uh, quite a bit of backlash at Rotten Tomatoes right now because they decided to hold over and not reveal their tomato meter score for Justice League until after the film had already started being released and they showed it on their uh their new program that they do i think it's on facebook it's called see it or skip it and they decided that that was going to be part of the show was to do the tomato meter reveal for justice league now what's really making people upset is that uh w warner brothers owns a financial stake in rotten tomatoes and there's some question as to whether or not that was, oh, we really want to promote viewership to our new show. Or if it was, hey, Warner Brothers, the investors are knocking at the door saying, don't release that tomato meter rating until we get our opening box off, until we've already got people coming in, then you can do it before it's too, once it's already too late. Right. And so and I, I, I'm curious. I'm very curious as to both, both you, uh, both you, Blake and Connor. What's what do you think the deal is? Was this a little bit of uh, collusion or was it really, oh, we want to drive viewership to our new show? Yeah, that's a tough. I don't see how I don't see how it can't be both. I just used the double negative for the second time in this podcast. (laughs) But I don't I don't see how um, you can avoid saying that it's it's possibly both i mean one we have a new property we want to make sure that it succeeds if this is where we want to do this unveiling that's cool um by the way it's going to look really self-serving uh and it is and uh yeah you know what i mean like it's and here's the thing it doesn't help like if people see a really bad score they're not you know okay first of all people will go see this film they will not as many as you know, before probably because of the the backlash and the scathing, you know, reviews that people are seeing and sure. all of this stuff, um, you know, diehard faithfuls are going to go. 
and they're either going to say, oh, you know what, it was good, I liked it, or, oh, it was trash and I hated it. I don't think there's going to be a lot of middle ground on this one. No, not really. As opposed to, um, you know, and there might have been some middle ground with Dawn of Justice, maybe, because, again, it had nuggets, but it's just garbage on the whole. It's just mindless and all over the place. And yeah. You don't care. They don't make you care. Their their script writing for all of these films has been very, you know, not so much building into characters I care about. And and that's a very big difference from the way things have gone on the other side of the street, so to speak. Um, but no, with, with this, I think that uh, it to me, it just totally looked. And again, court of public opinion is going to rule heavier than any the three of us but sure. i think it did look like warner brothers had a hand in this and and i'm not saying they did or didn't but i if you have a controlling stake and you're going to withhold uh the the metric meter rating on your biggest property to date in this universe of films that you're trying to build um yeah uh it it just looks bad it looks really really bad connor what do you think yeah well Warner Brothers, they had what a forty-six percent stake in Rotten Tomatoes. Is that yeah, right? some something to that effect, like a a pretty big financial stake in Rotten Tomatoes. And Justice League also is their big. It's their next tentpole. It's like basically their Avengers. You know, it's. I pretty much agree with Blake. It's hard not to view it as just sort of a bullshit business tactic to withdraw the yeah. tomato meter, hide it from people as long as you possibly can, especially if. You know, they they watched the movie and they know that it's not going to be that good. Well, it's too bad because, I mean, clearly they want this new show, See It or Skip It, to be a success. I, I mean, I watched like a preview for it. It looks interesting. I'd I'd like another, uh, you know, television style movie review program. I've been missing at God. I used to watch at the movies all the time and I've I've been waiting, waiting for someone to come along and do something like that again because it was so magical for me like it it totally it taught me the language it taught me the language of how to talk about movies and um i don't want to you know throw too much shade on them because really i bet the two the people involved really had nothing to do with it they were just like okay so this is gonna be our big hook but now it looks like they're totally compliant in some sort of corporate like scheme to get people to go see this movie Right. And well, here's the thing, too. And I think it's something we just haven't touched on yet. The DC Universe Warner Brothers here has pushed two major tentpole films in one calendar year that I I think for them, because of the, you know, the lack of, you know, films that they've made on the whole for this uh, universe that they're trying to build has was a little too risky. And I think that given the director swap and all of the things that we've discussed about how embattled this was, they should have waited until next year. They should have tried to, like, push their schedule, move everything around so that Justice League succeeds. And then when they realized that they couldn't and they wanted to make sure that, you know, look, this movie's going to kind of be what it's going to be. I it's hard for me not to think that that there was a a corporate you know, little smackdown on this. Um, And I'm not one who thinks like that, like, oh, you know, it's this huge conspiracy. No, like, I just think it was, the movie's not very good, guys. Like, we need to make sure we can protect this as much as we can and, and, you know, make sure that it has a good open. Right, it's just like... that's all it was. It's just a strategy. Yeah, Yeah. it's just like when movies, they're just like, yeah, no no reviews ahead of the street date. You know, it's it's a common tactic. So which which just sucks because it's like, yeah, they wanted to show that they were that they had faith in it. But I guess maybe maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't 
uh, have as much faith in it as uh, as we might have been led to believe. Uh, Blake, I want to ask you one last question here, and this has to do with um, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. This whole idea of these uh, these metrics sites um, are they fair? Is it fair to go on Rotten Tomatoes, look at the tomato meter, or go on Metacritic and look at that that aggregate score and get a full get get a real picture of whether or not you should go see this movie i think that at a base level if you are the most casual of moviegoers and you for example if you're if you're a married couple that just had a kid you know a couple that just had a kid and you know you may get one night out a week rotten tomatoes is good for you because it, it gives you a sense of what's out. It gives you a sense of how things are look. you know, like, is this good or is this bad? It's also putting everything in front of you and it's saying, hey, like, here's what's available and you can pick your movie time and everything. So if schedule for you is not, um, uh, you know, a, a, an easy thing for you to go to the movies. Yes, I think it's fair and I think it's good for you. But if you're a moviegoer, a movie lover or somebody who tries to do two, maybe three movies a week because – we do exist, and it's okay to be a cinephile. Oh, thank uh, God. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think it is fair. I think, I think that I, I find myself disagreeing with it much more and more. Um, I would say that it is nice to see certain films that I didn't think, based on trailers, were going to do too well that do okay, um, critically at least. Um, I do like that they tell you what's making money and what's not making money so that you know that, you know, if you like going to the movies and then talking about them. So it, it's to me, it's such a mixed bag of an answer, and I don't like to be wishy-washy about it. But yes and no is the easiest way to say it, because I know right now, um, you know, I'm 32 years old and, and I'm, I'm amongst a, a group of people age wise who, you know, are ha- starting families and everything. So going to the movies isn't the easiest thing anymore. Yeah. So Rotten Tomatoes helps them out. Because and Metacritic, because it it provides an aggregate. It gives them a sense of like what they might like and not like, and they can try to find their taste maybe based on time. You know, something that's time sensitive. But if you're a person who loves going to the movies and talking about movies, and maybe if you are one of those people, but only get to go once a week, I don't think it's fair enough because you're probably a little more affluent to, you know, what's going to be good, what's going to be bad, what you know, movie marketing wise, kind of hooked people and then disappointed in the end, et cetera, et cetera. So. To me, it's just another thing. I don't look at it. I'm kind of ambivalent towards it, and I think it's okay to be ambivalent towards things. Um, I don't hate it, and I don't love it, but I do I do try to make sure that people don't base all of their movie going and movie viewing and movie discussion um, you know, sentiments and thoughts and uh, reactions based on a Rotten Tomatoes or a Metacritic. I hope that answers the question. I think it definitely does. I think I'm I'm very satisfied with that. Blake Stubbs, constant contributor to WGN, he is one of the great movie thinkers. I think that I, in my opinion, of that I've really ever talked to. Uh, Blake, where where can we find you on social media? Easiest place to find me right now is on Twitter at Blake Stubbs. I am uh, I'm always up for uh, arguing uh, about films or just straight up talking about them uh, and, you know, gushing because uh, gushing's fun. If you get to gush about a movie, oh, like, fun. you know, something you loved, um, <laughs> it's I, I like being on every end of that spectrum. So, yeah, uh, at Blake Stubbs on Twitter, uh, best way to get at me directly. All right, Blake. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And let's definitely talk soon. There's plenty of releases coming out. I know by the end of this year, I'm going to be th- I'm going to be dragging you here to the studio from Champagne. <laughs> I need I'm going to need to talk to you about some things. Uh, thank you so much. Have a good one. Oh, thanks, guys. Total pleasure. Can't wait to do it again. 
All right, we will be right back with a little bit more No Coast Cinema. We're going to move away from uh, Justice League and talk a little bit about some movies that Connor and I have watched this week. Stick around. back everybody a little bit more no coast cinema for you we are your guide to cinema here in the city of chicago and all around the world i'm tom hush and i'm connor cornelius and uh right now now that we've kind of talked ourselves out about justice league let us (laughs) never speak of it again strike it from the record dude (laughs) strike it from the record strike it is struck it is struck it's been struck. Oh, boy. We need to do more morning zoo-style voices. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really the future well, the of thing, podcasting. I, I, I totally agree. That and Brooklyn accents. Brooklyn. I, I don't know what that was. Well, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> It was somebody that drops the last letter of every word. Brooklyn. <laughs> Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> All right. So uh, right now, to close the show, I kind of just wanted to take a moment to talk a little bit about some movies that uh, Connor and I have seen in the last week. Um, you know, we're constantly watching movies, probably too many movies. I, I kind of moving myself out yesterday, but we'll get to that. Connor, uh, I know you watched a couple of films this week, one new, one older. Mm-hmm. So, uh, hit me. What'd you watch? So I just watched the movie Atonement. I watched this one at home. Kira Knightley, yep. James McAvoy. So you see Ronan getting her start. There. Yeah. That's, oh wow. She's young in that too. How do you pronounce her name? Sauer, I really, I really wish I could I'm tell throwing you. another R in there and there's only Sauer- one. I, I always Sauer- say, I always say Sauerzy. Sauerzy. I feel like I should be able to say it because like she's Irish and I'm Irish and I've been around weird Irish names, but I've literally never met an Irish person with that name before. So that's on us. Please tweet at I'm us sorry. Uh, your sorry. pronunciation of Sauerzy Ronan at NoCosin <laughs> on Twitter. But okay, Atonement. Yeah. Uh, what's the premise here? What's the premise of the movie? So James McAvoy is a adopted, or I think he's adopted from this affluent family in uh, right when World War II is starting to. It starts in the mid '30s, so before World War II breaks out. And James McAvoy is in love with Kira Knightley, the daughter of this deceased um, wealthy person. Mm-hmm. And he falls in love with Kira Knightley, and Kira Knightley sort of returns his affections to him. But there's this subplot with Sawyerse Ronan. Or, what? Sorry, Ms. Ronan. Ms. Ronan. Yeah, where um, she is a young girl, and she it, she has a crush on James McAvoy, and she sees Kira Knightley and James McAvoy uh, making love in a library in their house. And one of her sisters mysteriously gets sexually assaulted in the woods during a a party when James McAvoy is gone. Yeah. And so he being this, you know, being just this person that the family took under their wing, it was it was an easy scapegoat. And Cersei Ronan, basically Ms. Ronan, said that it was him, that she saw him doing it when she was sort of spurned. The That's what the implication of the film is, is that she yeah. was spurned 
by her crush for him, and so she wanted to kind of get back at him. And what you find out at the end of the movie, and this isn't really much of a spoiler, but you find out that the whole, all of the events that you watch throughout the movie was uh, in a book that the character ends up writing at the end of her life called Atonement because she felt so bad that she knew that James, she find out, finds out later that James McAvoy was innocent and she basically spends her whole life and you follow her throughout various periods of her life being a nurse in World War II and how she lives her life basically as a result of this one decision that she made when she was young. Huh. And it was it was a great movie. I loved it. Yeah. Wow, that sounds really good. I mean, I'm I'm down for that era of uh of like, you know, watching a movie that takes place. I like World War II movies that aren't like about World War II, you know what I mean? And um I think I'm I think I saw parts of it. I know something about it is that it's it people um you know dunkirk came out earlier this year and it's like oh it's the first depiction of the battle of dunkirk it's actually not atonement is atonement you know oh yeah yeah, scene where he's yeah in dunkirk the, is yeah absolutely. he's in he's at dunkirk yep. and that's the first depiction the first big depiction of the battle of dunkirk on yeah. the film that's interesting i forgot about that i didn't yeah. realize no i i think um people kind of write i mean it could that seems like the kind of movie that could be a little bit too gooey like how does it how does it play the romance it starts so the romance is a very short-lived thing. Um, it's definitely the thing that ties the characters together, but but it's not like the focus of the film. No, it's, it's more not. about it serves. It is sort of a it's it's a focus, but it's something that sort of lends to the drama and sort of the heartbreak of all of the different characters. Sure. And, and their individual struggles because that's really the majority of the movie. It starts out in this very bougie environment where sure. you think, oh, it's very just like. Be, like uh, Downton Abbey sort yeah, of thing. Exactly. <laughs> you're afraid that that's going to be the whole movie, and then and it, it turns quickly into... turns into like a dramatic disaster. Very cool. What was the other movie you watched? Went to the theater and saw The Killing of a Sacred Deer, Yorgos, Yorgos, Yorgos Lathamos. Lathamos. Yeah, yeah, his new film. Another and, name I have trouble pronouncing. <laughs> yeah, really picked a, a good a good lottery with that. So a lot of people would know him as the director of uh, The Lobster. And Dogtooth. Dogtooth, yes. Um, I'm going to say this up front. I did not really like The Lobster all that much. I I wanted to. There were parts. There were. I feel like through almost two-thirds of the movie, I was really about it. And then it just got so... It went so elsewhere for me, and I feel bad because I was like, man, am I not edgy enough to watch The Lobster? Like, <laughs> am I not fucking cool enough to watch The Lobster? And But I just – I tried watching it again, and it's like – it's a fucked up movie. Oh, yeah. I think it's it's like the reckoning of the romantic comedy. Yeah. Yeah. No, maybe I should watch it again with that in mind be like, okay, so this is a romantic – the an, the most anti-romantic comedy ever made. Yeah. Uh, so how was The Killing of the Sacred Deer? So with his other movies in mind, um, particularly, I guess, just drawing on the lobster, there's it establishes its internal logic because that's a big thing with his movies. He has logic and sort of a fantastical element to his movie. It's Very magical realism. Yeah, and he in The Lobster he established it pretty much right away, and it's just sort of this flat line of unpleasantness throughout the whole thing. True. With The Killing of a Sacred Deer... It starts out in this way you don't really know what's happening and the um, it's very unpleasant to start with and then at the end it's just sort of this steady incline of unpleasantness all the way until the very end and 
I remember being in the theater. I was with a couple friends. And when it ended, we saw it on a Friday night. And when it ended, the credits start rolling. Somebody just in the audience just goes like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And then we were walking out. I heard another person say, he's like, so this is why I don't go to movies anymore. Yeah, geez. (laughs) I can't imagine that that's a movie that would make you feel good on a Friday night. No, we felt so – we left the theater and we were like, okay, what do we do now? Like, I guess – Go get a drink and drink try to whiskey talk this until out. we die. Like. Yeah, exactly. We have to talk this out. Um, it's definitely one of those movies where you're going to want to discuss it for a while afterwards because it's just you're not going to feel good after seeing it. I can't imagine. I can't. From, from what I've seen in the trailers, I was just like, okay, here we go. Like, yeah, but I've, it's effective. It's it an is, effective unpleasantness. Absolutely. Is it, would you recommend a watch? Yes, I do. I think it's like good. go out and see it or wait. I would say go out and see it. I think it's a good movie. It's A24. Uh, they really don't disappoint these days, I don't think. That is true. Uh, there are very few. Shot. Yeah, there are very few A24 movies that I, like, completely hate. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go see it. Well, especially because I saw Mother in theaters, and that was a movie I wanted to talk about, but no one wanted to fucking talk about it because they're like, oh, I hate Mother. Or, like, I'm not going to go see it look stupid. And I'm just like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to keep this to myself forever until I <laughs> fucking die. Like, I, I I, personally really liked Mother. So, mate, and that was, I mean, that was truly a visceral experience. So, I'd be interested. I'll give Yorgos another chance. I don't think you could ever bring me around to the lobster because it was just a level of unpleasantness that I couldn't even, like, enjoy. Like, movie, movies like Raw. Like, we both, have you seen? You yeah, saw, yeah, Raw. We both great. saw Raw. Yeah. And that's a lot of unpleasantness. But, like, you're you're drawn to it in a way because there, there's so much more going on. Well, his characters are so far different too than yeah. a lot than most other filmmakers. They're like barely even people. Yeah, they They're don't like they don't act at all. Which That's I, what he tells his actors is he just he says do as little as possible. Yeah, and I know Nicole Kidman is in this movie, Killing of a Sacred Deer. I saw I watched an interview with her and she Colin was like, Farrell again as well. Yeah, and she just said Yorgos wants you to do as little as possible, and when you're an actor, that's difficult. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, that's I'm you know I got to put it on my list. Yeah, there's and there's another, too many movies uh, I got to catch. Another cool, quick undercurrent to that movie is it's basically based off of a uh, Greek myth called the uh, the myth of Iphigenia. Oh, and uh, it is mentioned very briefly in the film, which is something I caught and I had to look it up after. Yeah. But uh, was it cool afterwards knowing that? Like, yes. Yes. Did absolutely. it change? And it kind of did change your perspective. It. Or did it just give you context? It just gave you context, okay. which was cool. That though. is cool. No, I, I like when I like when movies are kind of um, weird, like adaptations, like The Little Hours. Exactly. Like The Little Hours is an adaptation of a book called The Decameron, but it you know with the cast of Parks and Rec. Ah, no. Um, but with a movie that is that unpleasant, it's nice to know that it didn't just come out of the void you know yeah it wasn't just yorgos lothamos being like how much can i fucking ruin someone's night yeah like he's like in a greek tragedy yeah tragedy i like tragedies okay i'm it's on the list now there you go all right uh what what did did you watch tom say it again what did you watch tom um so i watched i had a big day yesterday i've i've definitely had a trouble had a lot of trouble this week being able to sit down and focus uh, so I was just like, I would like try to, I'm like, oh, I've been meaning to watch 
this for a while and I would like start watching it and I couldn't focus. Like, um, I went to go watch the Royal Tenenbaums and I got about halfway through it. And then like, I was just getting too distracted and I was like, fuck, I really want to enjoy this movie. So maybe I shouldn't watch it right now. Um, but yesterday I made a point to go to a great screening over at the, at the music box. They were doing a 70 millimeter screening of Alfred Hitchcock's vertigo starring, uh, James Stewart, uh, Kim Novak as well. And I had never seen vertigo. Have you, have you seen vertigo? I have not. No. Um, I've, I mean, I've, I've watched Hitchcock movies from like my mid to late teens. Like that's when I kind of really, actually, I saw psycho and now I watch it like pretty regularly. I love psycho. Uh, I've seen rope, um, which is a really interesting movie, but, uh, I feel like the only three I've seen birds, secret window and psycho. I think that might be the, wait, only do you mean three. rear window, rear window, secret, secret window with Johnny Depp. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. Dan, strike it from the record. Dan. Uh, yeah, no, so I'd never seen uh, Vertigo, and I think, I can't remember which poll it was, but there was, like, a recent critics poll that named it as the greatest movie ever made. I was like, fuck, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and After seeing it, what do you think? Um, I don't think it's the greatest movie ever made. I think it is one of the great movies. I think it's... I it's tough because you're watching a movie. I feel like every every decade we get further removed from this. Like it's got to be hard to you, like when you're watching an old movie. You almost have to re-educate yourself on what movies were like then. And um, there are portions that are timeless, but there were also parts that I was just like, "Fuck!" Like I can't believe this was in a movie. And then uh, the newer film that I saw was Lady Bird, directed by Greta Gerwig. Also A24. Also A24. Also starring Miss Ronan mm-hmm. in, a, in a fantastic leading role. I, she does a great job. I think this is the first movie I've really watched by her that I was like, damn, this is she is so talented. It's semi-autobiographical. Uh, takes place in Sacramento in 2002, which is really weird because you're kind of like, oh, shit. Like, that's when I was a kid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and granted, she's, she's in high school. In 2002, we were what? Eight, eight years old, but it, it's it's interesting to be watching these watching a movie that is you know we grew up watching movies that called back to the eighties and nineties yeah. as like youth culture was the eighties and nineties and then you watch Dazed and Confused calls back so it's weird to be seeing movies that now call back to our youth as youth culture like it was a very surreal experience and I was just like man. I kind of like remember all of this. Like, you know, there's in the background, like she'll be watching CNN and it's the beginning of the Iraq war. Oh, yeah. like, which is kind of weird. And it's nothing to do with the plot. It's just all scene setting and kind of gives you a sense of time and place, but it's a great coming of age story. Um, Ms. Ronan is fantastic. It's, it feels very real. It feels very funny. Um, I guess you could maybe say that it's a little bit too Juno-esque. Like, it doesn't have that heightened of dialogue, but sometimes you have a little... I can see people having a little trouble uh, believing that a high school senior talks like that. Sure. But I've never had a problem with Juno, and I didn't have a problem with it now. It was just kind of a devil's advocate thing I was playing in my mind. Um, Lori Metcalf 
plays her mom, and a lot of people know Laurie Metcalf. I think she was on Roseanne, I want to say. I could be totally wrong, but Laurie Metcalf's been around for a while, and she is fantastic as her mom. Um, Tracy Letts, author of August Osage County, the like famous playwright over here at Steppenwolf. He's part of the Steppenwolf. He's got a new play for Steppenwolf. He's in it as, as uh, Lady Bird's father. The whole thing is just a really great coming-of-age comedy, very very quick, very witty, very um, effective. I Shout out to Greta Gerwig. I loved Frances Ha. I loved her in 20th Century Women. And I'm glad that she's got a directorial debut now under her belt. Would you say that, because Juno's pretty strong on comedy and obviously being witty, would you say that Lady Bird is outright a comedy or is it a mixed bag? <clears throat> I would say, I think dramedy is a good way to put it. But it is so funny. Like, it's funny in the way that, like, your fucked up childhood experiences are funny in retrospect. Yeah. Like, at the time, if you think about it, like, she's she'll be there, like, smoking clove cigarettes and, like, lying to her friends about her wealth. And there's, there's like, all the stuff about class struggle and money trouble and this mother-daughter relationship that is very serious. And, like, there's relationships and sex and all that kind of stuff. But it's funny in that just quick-witted look back at – um at one's youth that I mean, clearly Greta Gerwig is drawing, she's from Sacramento, Greta Gerwig. So she's clearly drawing on these experiences. And, um, I mean, you know, there's experiences in your life, Connor, I'm sure that you look back on and you're just like, wow, that was weird. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's, it's funny at the time it felt so serious and looking and some, there are plenty of serious, really great emotional beats in this movie, but a lot of it is just so funny and just so, just so true. Um, I think there's a line that really kind of sets up like people who would crap on this movie because it's like, Oh, it's, Oh, she's so what's up with witty Juno teenager, like blah, blah, blah. This is fake. Like this is not how teenagers talk. And there's a bit where she's in a, a theater group, like she's getting involved in musical theater and uh, like her, her director is this, she goes to Catholic school. She's got this priest as the director and he says something to the effect of, it's not about being accurate. It's about being true. And he's talking about their performances as actors. It's not about being accurate. It's about being true. Yeah. Which I what's really truer like. than the truth. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to another episode of No Coast Cinema. Remember, you can find all the things that we're talking about over at facebook.com slash no cinema podcast. We're posting on there episodes, different articles. Uh, you know, please share your thoughts with us. If you liked Justice League, if you didn't like Justice League, give us a shout out. What are you watching? Let us know. You can also tweet us at No Coast Cinema on Twitter. And uh, I know you can follow me on Instagram at Mount Hushmore. Um, Connor, do you want people to publicly follow your weird shit? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you you Stay the hell away from me. Yeah, Connor is an enigma. All right. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. Very excited to be back, and hopefully uh, sickness will not strike us again. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And uh, we all love you very much. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.